You may be seated. Turning your Bibles this evening to the book of Genesis and chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Be reading together this classic passage on God making a covenant with Abraham, verses 1 through 22. So let's give our attention now to the Word of God. Genesis 17, beginning in verse 1, reading down through verse 22. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, For an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised." So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. 
and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, what a wonderful passage before us tonight of your covenant-making grace, of how you, you come and reveal yourself to men that they might have eternal life by your grace through Jesus Christ. We thank you for these words and pray that you will bless them and use them greatly to enliven our own faith as it did Abraham and enable us to trust you fully in every detail of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in recent weeks, we have been considering the significance of the different names which God himself has been pleased to use of himself in the scriptures. So the first name we looked at was the name Elohim, uh, a simple name that is simply translated God in our English translations. But we saw the way that term is used and in the places where that term is used, that it clearly points to God, as it does in Genesis 1, as the creator God. Then we saw from Isaiah, he is the only Elohim. He is the only true and living God. Thirdly, we saw that he is triune, coming in the, in the fact that Elohim is a plural and the way he uses the plural pronouns in Genesis 1 in particular, let us make man in our own image. And then lastly, we saw that this Elohim is a personal God. He's not some distant power way off in the, in the stars. He is one who draws near. He is the one who came to Abraham and revealed himself to Abraham as Elohim. I will be your Elohim and the Elohim of your children after you. This is a personal covenant-making God, Elohim. Secondly, we looked at the word Jehovah. God who is, tell them that I am sent you. He is the God who is. He is the true and righteous God. The first thing God does after he creates man and creates a garden for blessing him, he puts him in that garden and commands him to follow his commandments, his rules, his statutes. He is a God who demands righteousness. He is the true and righteous God. But he is also a God of redemption. And we saw this in, in Exodus 3 when God appears to, 
to Moses. And he says, by my name, Jehovah, or by my name, uh, Elohim, I appeared to Abraham. But by my name, Jehovah, I was not known to them. And it was only after God delivered his people out of Egypt, after a work of redemption, that they began to understand the full import of the name Jehovah. And then last week, we looked at Jehovah Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, a God who offers comfort to those who are afflicted, a God who offers courage to those who are assailed by the enemy, and a God who offers conquest and victory to those who are helpless. Well, one thing that I trust has become clear to you in in what we've done so far is this. No one name is sufficient to communicate all the, the, the multifaceted wonders and glory of our eternal God. Here we see God revealing himself in different names to communicate different attributes, different elements of his character or his being. It's the same way with Jesus Christ. You think about how Jesus reveals himself in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Revelation. When he appears to John on the Isle of Patmos, he doesn't say, John... I'm the Alpha. Is that sufficient? No. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the one who is, who was, and who is to come. I am the bright and morning star. I am the faithful witness. And throughout the New Testament, we have all of these. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So just as Jesus speaks of himself by all these different names, each name used of God is designed to show us here tonight more of who he is, more of what he is like. And it's not merely so that we can fill our minds with lots of interesting ideas about God. The main reason God reveals himself is so that we might know him better and that we would love him more and that we would serve and trust him more fully. And that fact is demonstrated in an exceptional way in our text tonight. God now reveals himself to Abraham, or Abram at that stage, by the name El Shaddai, or God Almighty. El is the shortened form of Elohim that means God, and Shaddai means Almighty. And so God reveals himself as the Almighty God. As we work through this passage, 
we can kind of be, be thinking about a couple of questions. One is, what exactly does this mean that God is the almighty God? Does it mean that God can do anything? Children, some of you have learned the children's catechism. Can God do all things? And the answer is yes, God can do all his holy will. Technically, being almighty doesn't mean you can do whatever you want or you can do anything at all because God cannot sin. God cannot lie. God cannot be unjust. He cannot be unfaithful to his promises. So being almighty is not being able to do whatever you want. For God to be almighty is to say that he has the power to always do what is right and good. That's what it means to be almighty. Secondly, I want us to be thinking about the question, does it matter? Does it matter if we understand God as El Shaddai? I mean, we know him as Elohim. We know him as Jehovah. We know him as Jehovah Sabaoth. Isn't that enough? Does it matter? What effect does it have upon us? Well, I think as we work our way through the three elements that come out of this particular passage, we're going to see it makes a big difference in the way we live to know God as the Almighty. So first, El Shaddai, a God who has almighty power. That Abraham is a pivotal figure in the Bible cannot be questioned. Not only is there a significant portion of the book of Genesis devoted to describing his life and particularly his relationship and dealings with God, but he's referred to by some pretty significant and weighty designations. He's described as the father of the Jewish nation, the father of the people of God for for thousands of years. This man was the first to come to God as a Hebrew. He is also referred to or held out to us as pretty much the quintessential example of faith. How many times we hear that reference from Genesis 15, 6, and he believed God, he had faith in God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So we come to understand very clearly that righteousness in God's sight comes by faith alone and not by works. So he is referred to as a great example of faith and of obedience. We're not going to get there tonight, but when we we read a little bit farther down the road in Genesis 22 of how he was not willing 
to withhold his only son when God called for him to sacrifice him. And that was a telling example of his faith and trust in God. But perhaps the most amazing designation is that Abraham is repeatedly called the friend of God. So this is a man who stands out among men in a lot of different ways. So when we meet Abraham in Genesis 17, here's what you need to understand. We are meeting a man who has been walking with God for 25 years. The point being, Abraham is not a stranger to God. He already believed in God. He already worships God. He has loved and served God for years. But here's the bottom line. He did not know everything there was to know about God. There was more for him to learn about who God was and what God did and what God is pleased with and what God is displeased with. Now, it was Jehovah that called Abram out of his father's house, the pagan worship of his father, Terah. So in chapter 12 and verse 1, Abraham is called out. In chapter 13 and verse 4, it is Jehovah that Abraham worships when he returns from Egypt and he goes to the altar that he had built before he went down there and he worships God. And then in chapter... Uh, 14 and verse 22, it is El Elyon, God Most High, that Abram prays to. It is that God that he swears allegiance to when he meets Melchizedek in the wilderness. And then in chapter 15 and verse 1, Abram prays to the Lord God. In this case, it's Adonai Jehovah. And then in 15.6, Abraham believes God. And he, that faith is counted to him as righteousness. My friends, do you see that Abram's knowledge of God His understanding of who God was impacted his life from start to finish. And that every element of his life was affected by his knowing God. You put it all together and you realize Abraham knew God. He knew many of the names that God used to reveal himself. He knew many of the attributes that God wanted him to know. But God wanted his servant to know more. And therefore, in Genesis 17, 1, he appears to Abram, and he says, Abram, 
I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Now, why this particular revelation? I am God Almighty. And why at this particular moment in Abraham's life? Jehovah had called him out of the the land of his fathers, and Abram obeyed. Jehovah had promised a son and the land of Canaan, and Abraham believed. But he had not fully come to understand, he had not fully grasped the magnitude of God's power to do what he had promised to do. And that is what is taking place here. We could say Abraham actually believed that God could use some help fulfilling his promises. And so back in, in chapter 12, when there's a famine in the land, what does Abram do? He goes down to Egypt, and he gets into some serious trouble there because that's not where he's supposed to be. God had promised him the land of Canaan. And then a little bit later, in chapter 16, after 10 years of waiting, now granted, if God made a promise to you and I, and 10 years went by and we still haven't seen any action, we might be a little impatient ourselves. But after 10 years of waiting for a son that God had promised, Abraham decides, well, maybe that promised son will come through Hagar, my, my wife's Egyptian handmaid. And that gets him into a lot of trouble. He does get a son by Hagar. But in light of that, Abraham hasn't grasped yet that God is the Almighty One. And he made a promise and he will fulfill it. And so in 17.1, God appears to Abram and says, I am God Almighty. I made you a promise And I will fulfill it. Nothing, nothing is too difficult for me. I made this promise. I will fill it. And by the way, I don't need your help to do it. I am God Almighty. But what I do desire is for you to know me better, for you to trust me more, for you to walk more closely with me day by day, and for you to be blameless, for you to follow my directives and obey my commands. In other words... 
When God Almighty calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light, when he calls you into a relationship, a saving relationship with himself through Jesus Christ, it is not so you can keep living like you did before you believed. Fellowship with God leads to a new life. When we read those promises in Ezekiel 36, I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And God adds, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk according to my statutes. My friends, God's calling and our knowledge of him and his saving grace and his sanctifying power changes us in every way. It does matter whether we know God as the Almighty. Well, secondly, El Shaddai and a God who bestows profound blessings. I expect many in this room, if not all, perhaps not our children as quickly so, but we're familiar with Psalm 103. We know how the psalmist recounts all the the numerous benefits that God pours out upon his children. He forgives all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. He delivers our life from destruction. He provides so many gifts and graces. He is slow to anger. He protects, he keeps, he blesses us in a number of ways. Well, here in Genesis 17, God himself recounts for Abraham, listen, Abram, this is what I intend to do for you. Just follow what he has to say. Look at verse 2. When he comes to Abram, he says, I am going to make my covenant with you. My covenant is going to be between me and you. And I am going to multiply you exceedingly. And then in verse verse 4, he says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. Now remember, at this moment... How many children does Abram have? One. But God is saying, Abram, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. So much so that I'm going to change your name right here and now. You will no longer be called Abram, which simply means exalted father, but you will be called Abraham father of multitudes. God says, I'm going to bless you exceedingly. I'm going to make you fruitful and kings are going to come from your body. And then, of course, the familiar words of chapter or verse seven and following, I am going to be your God and the God of your children after you. And he gives them the sign of circumcision. My friends, listen closely. Never discount the blessing of a sign of the covenant. 
God gave to this man and to his family a sign, the sign of circumcision. And there was not a day in their life after that that went by. They did not see that sign and say, I belong to God. God says, I make my covenant with you. And you will keep this sign because if you don't, you're cut off from your people. Don't underestimate the value, the blessing of having a sign of the covenant. God has given us, under the new covenant, two signs. Every time we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the love of God and the love of Christ for us, and the sacrifice that was made for our salvation, and the forgiveness of our sins. Every time we see a baptism, we are reminded, I am baptized. I belong to God. I don't know how many of you remember the sermon that Ian Hamilton gave on one occasion when he was talking about baptism and Luther and his struggles with temptation. And under the most heated temptations, Luther would say out loud, I am a baptized man. I belong to God. And he could take comfort in that. Don't underestimate the blessing of the sign. And then in verse 15, God says, as for Sarah, don't call her Sarah, call her Sarah. I will bless her and give you a son by her. Now, my friends, God may not bless us in exactly the same way that he blessed Abraham, but there are a countless number of favors and gifts and graces and blessings that God has poured out upon us. He has called us to himself. He has revealed the way of salvation to us and to our children. He has given us tangible signs of his redeeming grace. He has forgiven our sins He has kept us from the wicked one. He has provided even daily food for us every day to preserve and keep us. Perhaps the greatest blessing God has bestowed upon us, we heard about this morning, of how God opens the eyes and opens the heart to receive Christ, to believe on him to be saved by faith in him. My friends, it would not be a bad idea to frequently make a list of the way God has blessed you and stop and thank him for it. Well, let's move to our third point. El Shaddai, a God who makes astounding promises. Here, I believe we come to the heart of this revelation of God. Because when God Almighty makes a promise, 
we need to believe it. And we need to act like we believe it. No matter how utterly impossible it seems that promise actually is. I can't remember where we were, but my wife and I were in, I want to say it was some doctor's office or some office somewhere. We were sitting there and there was a sign on the wall that said, impossible is God's starting point. That's where God begins. It's not over because it's impossible with God. God is El Shaddai. He is the Almighty. And even when that promise sounds utterly impossible, we can believe it. Now what is especially interesting to me here is that God reveals himself as God Almighty. And then he makes a promise in verses 15 and 16 saying, I am going to bless Sarah. She is going to have a son. And kings and nations are going to come from her. And Abraham is looking on in disbelief. Abraham says, that, that's not only irrational, that is impossible. It's laughable. There's no way that's going to happen. Absolutely impossible. Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Has anybody ever heard of a man who's 100 years old? Fathering a son? I think probably Strom Thurmond was about as close as you could come. Who got married to an 18-year-old when he was 78 years old or something like that. But shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Or to, to a woman who's 90? Have, have you ever heard of a 90-year-old giving birth? Abraham laughs at this whole idea. That's impossible. That's ridiculous. But now, God, I've, I've got my own plan here, if you want to hear it. Oh, that Ishmael could live before you. Let Ishmael be the promised son. He's already here. We, we don't have to wait for that. Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. My friends, verse 19 is one of those unequivocal statements in Scripture. Then God said, no. Sarah will have a son. And my covenant will be with him. What God is saying to Abram is, I made you a promise. 
And I will fulfill that promise. And it's not going to be through Hagar. And it's not going to be through Ishmael. I made a promise. And Sarah is going to have a son. And you're going to call his name Isaac. And my covenant of blessing will be with him. I don't know about you, but I I can't read this and not think about Isaiah 55, 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. My friends, Abraham has a lot to teach us about believing the promises of God. And this episode, right here at verses 19 and 20, is where was a turning point for Abraham. And after this point, Abraham begins to walk with God in a very different way, in a richer, more faith-filled and more obedient way than ever before. He was strengthened in his faith. Let me read to you how the Apostle Paul describes Abraham after this juncture. Because what Paul says in verse 20 of Romans 4, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But verses 17 and 18 look a lot like wavering. But after God says, no, no, I am God Almighty. I am going to fulfill this promise through Sarah. After that, Abram was strengthened in faith and giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. This was a turning point. This was the game changer for Abram. When God spoke and made his promise clear as El Shaddai. He did not stagger at the promise, but was strengthened in his faith, giving glory God. Now, back to my question we started with. Think of the most amazing promises in the Bible that you can name. Promises that may be beyond our, our ability to comprehend, beyond our ability to, to believe. Maybe impossible. There's a whole long list. I mean, start with John 3.16. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How can that be? That whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So many others. Romans 8.28, that God will work all things after the 
counsel of his own will and cause them to be for your good. Think about what Jesus says in in Matthew 11 and verse 27. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Or Isaiah 40 and verse 31. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. My friends, I don't know where you are tonight, but are you in a position where you're you're looking to God, you're waiting upon him, and you almost can't believe that there's a way out? God says, you wait on me. I'll renew your strength. James 1.5, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. Chapter 4 and verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Are you in a battle tonight? Is there some strong temptation that Satan is pressing against you? Resist the devil. God's promises is that he will flee from you. We could go on and on. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 50 verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will help you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Or Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. My friends, so many promises. And maybe some of those glorious promises seem so far away. Maybe they seem impossible. But they are the word of El Shaddai, God Almighty. And if he made the promise... He will keep the promise. And we can believe that. And find rest in him. Because with God, nothing is impossible. Let's pray together. Father, again, we praise you and we thank you for your grace to Abraham. For the way that you opened his eyes and his heart to see and to trust and to follow and to walk with you in fellowship and obedience. Oh Lord, we pray that tonight you would do that for us. Would you work mightily in our midst tonight by the power of your spirit. Bless and use your word to sanctify us, to strengthen us in our faith, that we might live to your glory all our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.